What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by the Collective Experience and FMF Racing as well as the Fast House. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line for the second time in as many podcasts. Dave Drakes, how's it going? Great, Brad. You know, just reeling from the weekend. You know, yes. I have a, a lot of stuff to talk about and uh, definitely, uh, definitely something to remember, so I'm pumped to get into it. Uh, uh, a, a weekend to remember, maybe a weekend to forget, uh, depending on who you were cheering for. Um, the Redbud uh, MXON uh, has officially uh, gone and passed, and uh, a race that um, we on this podcast uh, a week ago were talking about basically uh, uh, the odds-on favorite for uh, Team USA to uh, reestablish themselves as reign supreme as far as motocross uh worldwide goes uh did not turn out that way uh some of it had to do with uh weather conditions but of course everyone dealt with the weather conditions and some of it dealt with uh just um off performance from a few of these guys Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what happened over the weekend you were in attendance Give me the uh, the Coles notes of uh, of Dave Drake's taking in his first motocross nation, something that I'm yet to attend. So I'm uh, I'm I'm both jealous and I'm eager to hear what you've got to say. Uh, yeah, like I said before, it was definitely an event to remember. So uh, just to start off with, I don't think I've ever seen that many people at a motocross race. It was absolutely staggering to see so many people flooding the gates, lining the fences. Um, I mean, just just walking through the pits was just, I mean, you're pretty much shoulder to shoulder with, with everybody. Um, I'm hearing it's one of the uh, high, I think the highest attended uh, MXO, MXON in a long time or ever. So um, this goes to show you how, how diehard a lot of these fans were. And, um, you know, from the moment you walk in there on Saturday, uh, Saturday practice, uh, you see, you know, you could hear the chainsaws buzzing and see the flags and uh, every, everything just going absolutely, absolutely insane. Uh, I mean, people from, you know, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, France, uh, Spain, Japan, absolutely insane. So um, definitely something that uh, I think everybody should attend. If anyone's able to go to Athens next year, highly recommend it. But uh, it, was def- it was definitely good. You know, even through some of the adverse weather conditions, you know, they um, kind of put a damper on things. Surprisingly, the track crew at Red Bud did an amazing job, absolutely phenomenal. The track conditions uh, for how much it rained just did, did not show. I mean, uh, the, the ground was still fairly tacky for the racers. It got a little soupy through some parts on Sunday and stuff. But um, for the most part, Saturday and most part of Sunday, it was the track conditions were held pretty well. Um, the pits and surrounding areas, however, were definitely a challenge. It was uh, you're pretty much walking through, you know, between two and six inches of mud everywhere you went uh, besides the track. So it was a little nuts. But, um, you know, everything from... Saturday night pit bike races to, to just the full-on, you know, uh, motos back-to-back. The fans were absolutely phenomenal. Just seeing different different factions of people from Ireland and just everywhere, like I said, and everyone's just really chanting along in their, you know, their country's, uh, country songs and cheering on their respect, you know, respective riders. And it was just definitely something that uh, I think we all should experience. And I'm, I'm going to try like hell to get there next year because it's, it's a race that uh, you don't want to miss. 
you and me both, my friend, uh, at the at Assen, Switzerland, where they have that man-made uh, sand track that uh, is uh, it's uh, it's man-made and it seems to be a man's track. Those that that place is pretty gnarly. Maybe we have to circle that on our calendars. But uh, um, whereabouts were you watching the motos from? Uh, what type of events were you able to take in throughout? Obviously, you probably weren't able to take in that uh, uh, that awesome dinner that uh, Road to Recovery put on the uh, the first night or. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you're at the the pit bike uh, designations, but uh, what were some of the kind of a special events that you were able to take in throughout the weekend? Um, one of the cool ones uh, was definitely the pit bike race. Um, that kind of happened later on in the day, and uh, it got a got a little rowdy. Uh, you know, they they did a great job with coverage and uh, doing a really really cool sort of sports centery type deal for um, like a prelude to the races and a wrap up of practice sessions and qualifying. Uh, and I think it was just about everybody that was up on top of the hill watching, you know, from the big main track came down to, um, came down the pit uh, on the hill to the pit bike track. And there were tens of thousands of people, uh, just get, you know, getting ready to watch all the different, uh, all the different countries, uh, represent through, through some pit bike racing. Uh, and it got so rowdy that, uh, people started pushing on the fences and lines, you know, behind the track, but on the track. And started lighting off fireworks. They had chainsaws, and there was just complete mayhem. The broadcast guys couldn't hear themselves talk. Uh, security came; they were tackling people. But I mean, it, there's only so many so many uh, security guards to the number of people that were there. So it just it was on one hand a little little too rowdy for a lot of people, but also it was just super cool to see so many passionate fans from all around the world. I mean, people were shotgunning beers and had the the bullhorns, and it was definitely something that uh. Something that that I don't think they were they were ready for quite quite expected. Um, another cool thing, uh, it definitely was some of like the autograph signing sessions where you got to uh, see a lot of the the really really diehard fans from overseas, um, you know, come out and and uh, start singing along with with all the riders. Like the French team, they had their chance and um, you know going along with Gutierrez and a, and a few of the other guys like Ferrandis and stuff. And that was that was really really cool to see and. Um, another cool fact was uh, a lot of the U.S. teams sort of rented out or, or gave their rigs to a lot of these uh, visiting foreign um, teams. So uh, that was really nice to see a lot of the teams interacting and kind of sharing some uh, some tips and mm-hmm. helping each other out. Um, that was that was really cool to see and something that I don't think a lot of people realize is going on. And you know, you see regular team managers from the race weekends for AMA motocross just helping out all these uh, you know different foreign riders. So it, it really showed the bond that we all have. You know across the across the world for uh for moto and uh made it that much better and of course you know there's a lot of a lot of beer chugging contests and mud slides and stuff too so that that's always fun to watch but um that's definitely a lot of fun and uh i think um i think if red bud does host this race again you're gonna have to put up a little bit more secure fencing and uh get things together a little bit but i mean still it was such a such a world-class event world-class facility i mean it was, it was definitely fun oh for sure people were were in and out in full force, uh, I, I feel like the the adult beverages were flowing, and uh, for those who were enjoying them, they had uh, plenty to do hoot and holler about. Like it just, it's I, I love to see the creativity of certain fans, uh, the the way that they like either they dress themselves up or they paint themselves up or the the different ways they find to uh, be able to enjoy the races. I saw um, basically like a, van, a short bus, which I'm sure you're you're uh, familiar with. 
um, of uh, people have basically had it set up so you could watch it, watch the races from atop that uh, that bus, which is really cool. Great idea. Got some shelter as well as a cool vantage point for the races. Um, and uh, yeah, like this this is just uh, just a cool event. And I, I wish I could have been there. Unfortunately, I decided to uh, uh, make a few hundred dollars rather than spend a few thousand dollars to uh to attend the race of course i would have loved to have been there but uh uh for uh for for budget reasons of 2019 supercross i think we needed to uh to 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 hunker down and and get some get to work this weekend but uh uh, hats off to you for going out and enjoying this and i hope that uh since you were uh like uh since you were pretty much just a spectator for this particular event that you yourself uh, were able to enjoy some adult beverages as well uh, yeah, I definitely had my fun. I got a got a chance to kind of um, hang around the pits with uh, Team Spain and hang out in the rig a little bit and kind of bench race and kick my feet up. So it was nice not having to run around and, and do too, too much. It was nice just being a regular old fan and, and just taking them inside, taking pictures and, um, yeah, enjoying a, a couple of fun activities. So, um, you know, we don't get to do that very often. So it was any chance I, any chance I get to just relax at a race, you know, I'll take it. Sure, man. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. So, let's get into the analysis of this weekend. Um, of course, uh, when we we do our predictions, we're assuming uh, that there's going to be some uh, some some good weather. That there that there's going to be uh, optimum uh, conditions for good racing. Guys can put their best foot forward, and uh, the um, the conditions are not going to be very difficult on the machines. Of course, it's motocross shit happens and, uh, mother nature decided to attend the race just as much as anybody else, uh, regardless of what, uh, what team that you were cheering for. Um, so there was rain, there was, uh, it was cooler temperatures, of course, on the, on the, the Monday afterwards, it was, uh, 89 degrees and, uh, I'm sure it was a beautiful day to go ride your motorcycle, but, uh, a hot day or a, a, a cool day. Basically, like straight straight up fall weather, and uh, with fall weather comes some cold rain that uh, definitely affected things. How much of the uh, of the, the results on Sunday and Saturday, for that matter, uh, do you feel uh, were kind of hinging on the fact that uh, it was damn cold and uh, it was uh, it was raining pretty good? Uh, I would say. Um... It definitely played a factor. I don't think it was as big of a factor, only because you know they, they did the track crew did a pretty damn good job at making sure it stayed, um, you know, prepped and tilled, and that you know they didn't have too much mud or that slop on top of the uh, the, the racetrack. So, um, you know, I would say if you know out of a hundred percent, I'd say maybe affected maybe forty fifty percent. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they all have to race the same track. They all have to you know find the same lines and fight for the good time. So. You know, it's not like one one team had a had an advantage over the other with you know uh, riding a track like that for you know a, a couple of days leading up to the race or anything like that. So uh, I think you know for the most part it it didn't really play that big of a part until like I said you saw like maybe halfway point of uh, of Sunday during the races where the track started to kind of show its uh, you know show the true condition and kind of get a little sloppy or a little extra more ruddy or hard pack underneath in certain spots. So. Um, yeah, they all had to go through it, you know, and, and, and find their way, find their, find their fast lines and, their, you know, get to clog the fast times. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, give anyone the, you know, an excuse to say, you know, it was this, 
this way or that way or led himself to to this one team or this one race or anything. But uh, it still made for some good racing. Ah, yeah, it did. Uh, I, I watched uh, every moto on the uh, uh, Motocross ON uh, website with uh, the the live stream. Which uh, I, I there's a few people that had some negative things to say about Paul Mylan. I absolutely uh, loved listening to uh, to the guy. He's uh, he's excited. He's knowledgeable. And uh, yeah, he's a bit of a homer to the uh, the to the UK, but come on, that's where the guy's from. This is a national race. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty difficult to say impartial. I feel like I appreciate his impartialness, or his, like he's partial to the UK more than I liked uh, with uh, a guy like uh, when when Jeff Emig was referring to uh, um, uh, Aaron Plissinger as the rider from the United States. Like I just almost went out of his way to seem too impartial for it, but uh, I I absolutely enjoyed it. And there was some good racing both Saturday and Sunday. And uh, honestly, like you said, it's uh, it like there's, it's the same track for everybody. And uh, it's up to the teams and the riders to set up the bikes properly. And uh, like all of these guys are seasoned professionals. None of them don't know how to ride in the mud and none of them don't know how to go pretty damn fast in the mud. Um, given the fact that uh, there were some of some guys still airing out LaRocco's leap. Um, a lot of those big triples guys were still doing like, it's not like, uh, yeah, like there's some areas that got really rough and the, the, the wave section looked ridiculous, but uh, um by no means was this like an Iron Man. Uh, when, where like you, you were at that race as well. Like like as far as moisture content and and just how rough and impassable the track was. I don't think that's even apples to apples. Oh, definitely not. I, I would say um, as as bad as uh, as bad as Iron Man was that this was this was almost hard pack compared to what that was. Iron Man <laughs> was just a, a sloppy mess. I mean lines everywhere. Um, and you know, there's a certain part, there's a few certain parts of the track where, you know, when you get up closer to like the tree lines or on some off cambers where it was just super hard packed and just greasy. It was like riding on ice for these guys. Um, you saw a few bikes just, you know, on the main line, just getting stuck in ruts and blowing up and stuff like that, where I think, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the track at Red Bud definitely got a little sloppy in some parts, but for the most part, it just, it was almost like riding in just wet sand where you still had, you know, enough traction to, to be able to ride, you know, all out and, and put in a good effort and not have to crawl or doggy paddle your way through like we saw at Ironman. Um, but still, it was, a, it was a, enough of a drag on these guys to give them a little bit of a challenge and kind of throw in that little, that little you know, that monkey wrench into the works a little bit. So um, I definitely don't think those two are comparable. But, you know, like you said, all of these guys are, are great mud riders and they're the, they're the best in their country. So, um, you know they they got to they got to deal with what's, what's thrown at them. That they do, and uh, the team that dealt with it the best was Team France for the fifth time in as many years. Those guys have knocked uh, knocked off. They've now won the championship six different times. The only other time was 2001, when of course the United States uh, did not go uh, because of the uh, the horrible acts of nine of 9/11. Uh, they they bowed out of that particular race, and France goes on to win. I don't. I, I I'm not here to say that uh, uh, U.S. attends that race and goes and wins, but when you're you're heading over there with Mike Brown. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Windham and, uh, the greatest of all time, Ricky Carmichael. I like the chances, but, uh, five times in a row, Gautier Paulin absolutely came to play two, three on the day. Unbelievable. The guy rode like a beast, good starts, good motos. And, uh, he was able to put himself in a position to be the best guy on his team. Dylan Ferrandez, for all intents and purposes, 
was one of, if not the best 250 guy uh, uh, at, the, at the whole event. Um, he didn't get the best of starts, worked his way forward, very almost kind of workmanlike. I was very impressed. Between him and uh, um, uh, Jose Prado, those two are like head and shoulders above everybody uh, on the 250. I agree 100. Uh, percent France is just—I mean, those, those those guys were those guys were absolutely killing it too. And um, you could see the only person I think that really gave them a hard time, you know, from that 250 class was was Prado. And you know, you and I talked about it a little bit um, off air. You know, I, for the most part, I thought Prado was on a 450. The way he was pulling through some of these corners and and turning to walk away on that first moto. I mean, he was he rode awesome. You know, got out to a decent start and. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people from the States really know a lot about Prado or, um, or, you know, saw a lot of his racing this past season, or if they did, you know, it's really, it's tough to, tough to kind of tell until you actually see him in person and, and kind of see him up against your own riders. And I think he opened a lot of eyes this past week. And that kid is absolutely phenomenal. He looked like a, you know, like a seasoned vet, like a, you know, a rider who's been in the 450 class for 10 years, just, he didn't really have it. a lot of that, um, that, over aggression that we see a lot of you know, younger 250 guys have, but uh, he came out like he had a, on a mission. He knew what he wanted to do, and just did not let these guys spook him. You know, you, you get somebody like Coldenhoff or, or Paulin behind you. These guys who are those workhorses who are extremely talented, and you know they can get in your head a little bit. You know, they're not they're not afraid to to rub and 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 uh, and show you a wheel here and there. And Prado just you know answered pretty much every attack. You know, and and then only started to drop back towards the you know three quarter mark of the race. Um, but yeah, he's uh, a phenomenal talent. I'm glad I got to watch that in person because it was absolutely cool to see uh, one of the future guys of the sport just be so so dominant in a race, um, you know, so early on in their career. So, um, like you said, the only person that came remotely kind of close to him was uh, was a Ferrandis who rode super solid, very very consistent, um, you know, and, and and really showed these 450 guys that his bike isn't isn't as slow as uh, as you might think it would be and um, you know, the only person that, that did that kind of similarly with, with not as much luck was, uh, was Hunter Lawrence. That guy had a, had a pretty good showing too, but, um, you know, what, what more can you say about France, man? These guys had a, had a very good race, even though they didn't, you know, they didn't win. They, they stayed the most consistent and they, uh, they got the job done. For sure, and they find ways to win. There's a photo of, uh, Gautier Paulin, uh, immediately after finishing his First moto, I believe, uh, goes straight to the line and um, and and is like basically helping out Dylan Ferrandez, telling him where the lines are, tell him where where he needs to go to be successful, and that is um, that's that's the biggest difference when when it comes to uh, being a team and helping each other out. They're on different manufacturers, they race different classes, different uh, different championships. Uh, but when it comes down to uh, wanting to be on the top step of the podium, I think that's what it takes to uh, to be number one. And uh, the 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 top team had that. French France had that. Uh, Italy had that. And so did the Netherlands. I think honestly, between uh, Jeffrey Hurlings and Glenn Koldenhoff, I don't think you could find a two a, a pair of two riders that um, were were more connected at the hip. Those guys were basically like they literally were a two man show. Definitely. Yeah, you said it yourself, you know, I think that, that camaraderie and that, um, that helping spirit really, really makes a difference. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the U S are, are really known for, uh, uh, at least the riders anywhere known for that sort of that camaraderie or that helpfulness, say for, you know, maybe a Dungey, 
Um, and you know, him and Marvin Muskin, and I'm, I'm claiming Marvin Muskin is American because he's pretty much American at this point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, seeing, you know, seeing Paul and help for and stuff like that, you, it really makes you realize that, yes, this, this is a, this is a team event. It's not just, you know, me going out there and me killing it. It's like, you know, how can I make sure that my teammates also have the best chance at winning, um, so that we don't have to, you know, keep a, you know, a 37 score or something in a moto or a 30, if you know, um, how can I make sure that I do what I have to do and that I can help my friend, my, my teammates and my friends do what they have to do to make sure that we bring this thing home. Um, and you know, it's the teams that did that are the teams that are, you know, one, two, and three, the other, the other guys, they weren't doing it as much and it, it shows. So, um, hopefully all these guys can take that into consideration moving forward and, um, kind of learn from what team France is doing. Cause, uh, they're on the tear. I don't think they're going to try to slow down anytime soon. No, they're not. And uh, <clears throat> honestly, like, uh, with, like they didn't like for all intents and purposes didn't even send their absolute number one team. I still think that uh, uh, Marvin Muscan is uh, is very much French, and he is uh, the best option for them to uh, um, to win this race. And I think that uh, Roman Favre uh, has has showed that uh, he's also uh, got maybe a step on a guy like Jory Tixier. Or uh, Gautier Pollen. So, the, like the French team has got depth, and uh, they they could even have sent some even more accomplished riders. Um, but yeah, um, I was really impressed with France. I was really impressed with not only like it's honestly one of the things I didn't really even think about. You kind of think that like oh like uh, Antonio Caroli didn't win the championship this year. He's kind of like uh, like he, like. Uh, it, it wasn't like a really, really close championship. Jeffrey obviously missed a weekend with a broken, I think it was a broken collarbone or it was a, he had a, he had to miss a short period of time. Uh, but uh, like the guy was literally the second best guy over in Europe all year long to uh, a, a Jeffrey Hurlings, which for all intents and purposes was uh, an absolute world beater this weekend and has been all season long. So I don't know why I didn't expect the same thing from uh, Antonio Caroli. He goes 4-6 for uh, uh, maybe like the second or third best overall finishes of the of the whole day. And, uh, and, and Alessandro Lupino, a guy who for all intents and purposes has not been dominant, has not shown incredible speed year after year after year, comes out of nowhere, left field and uh puts together a uh, uh a fifth place and a 12th which is pretty strong for a guy who uh who hasn't always been known to have that kind of speed like uh i, I i'm nothing but impressed that was that was a solid ride i i agree 100 percent. i can't tell you how many times i heard this weekend who the hell is that guy in a cowie who's who's running in a good spot, you know? Yeah. Um, he, every time he went by, people were like, you know, who's that Cowie guy? And once he got kind of covered up with mud, everyone assumed that the Cowie rider who's up front would be Eli Tomac. But, um, you know, once they announced it was Lupino and you got or a lot of time, you're like, yeah, or tell yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he was pretty strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, people just, they did not expect this from him. And honestly, Lupino hasn't had a, a breakout uh, season, you know, he's kind of, I wouldn't say he stayed in the back a little bit, but he hasn't, he hasn't been crushing it like he was at the nation. Um, and that just kind of goes to show what they, what they brought, you know, they, they really brought their a game and despite having, you know, not a lackluster season or not the best season that they've, that they've had in a while, um, they were still able to kind of 
push that to the wayside and, and bring all they had for this race. And not just the, the Italians, just, I mean, all the, all the teams that did really well. I mean, you've seen that, you know, when we were talking earlier in the week, I mean, we, we didn't even mention Lupino, you know, and yeah. he kind of uh, gave Cairoli the cold shoulder. You know, we thought maybe this would, this would be a, you know, a, a race type that someone like Hurlings um, or, or Tomac would really, would really do well at. And Cairoli was kind of like a, you know, an afterthought and, Man, he he proved this wrong. We're eating our words because I mean they were they were a very strong team and were actually winning for for a good portion of the day on Sunday. So um, yeah, it just goes to show you can't really count anybody out. And and Cairoli is a force, man. The guy can ride with anyone and he can turn it on when he needs to. And um, he just de- definitely doesn't ride you know like a like an older guy like his like his ages, man. The guy you'd never know he was he was older than than you know, 26 or something like that. He was riding extremely well and like right at home at that track. Yes, he did. And that's another thing that like I, I, how many of these guys have even stepped foot near red bud, uh, prior to this, like, um, obviously Dylan Ferrandez, um, like the next closest guy in the top 10, uh, like in the top five would be Tommy Searle, who would have raced it as and and maybe Max Anstey uh, once or twice when when the two of them were over uh, in in United States doing uh, like I think they both did about two years. Um, otherwise, like the, everyone else had very little experience racing on this track, and no one showed it. They all seemed to be very at home on the friendly confines of uh, of Redbud's uh, racetrack, and uh, yeah, it showed and like. Um, I, I called Jeffrey Hurlings for two moto wins. You had your eyebrows raised for that. Uh, no one called uh, Glenn Coldenhoff for, for the two uh, moto wins. But honestly, I, I seriously think that uh, Jeffrey could have probably gone and, uh, and caught his teammate if he needed to, but he didn't. Uh, he goes 1-2 on the day, Glenn Coldenhoff, which uh, I don't think anyone had any amount of money on him doing, uh, doing that at a race like that. Uh, Honestly, I don't think he's ever gone 1-1 at an MXGP, let alone any other race um, at the professional level. But the guy goes out and he, uh, he gets a 1-1. And, uh, and likely, if, if, if nothing else, that secures him a job for 2019. Like, um, I'm not sure where his contract was sitting at, but when you go 1-1 at MXDN, like, you're getting, you're, you're, that's job security right there. Definitely, yeah. You can pretty much name his price at this point. Um, but yeah, Coldenhoff is, is probably a guy that, uh, you know, uh, a, a bunch of people overlooked as well. You know, uh, he's probably in contention for one of the breakout riders of the, uh, of the event. Um, he looked every bit as smooth, aggressive, and fluid as Hurlings did. Um, you know, f- actually a couple of people thought it was Hurlings when he was up there for, for so long, but I mean, I, I personally, I did not have this guy on my radar. I, if you would have told me Coldenhoff would have won, I would have looked at you crazier than I, than I probably did uh, when we were talking about uh, the results on Monday. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he rode amazingly. I, I didn't expect it. I know Coldenhoff was, you know, he's a, he's a top three, top four guy in the, in the GPs. But um, just to get out front and lead, you know, just tip the tail like that, it's just been it – it was really, really cool to watch and. Uh, even his line selection, you can definitely tell he's he's uh, he's just as aggressive as Jeffrey, but he's a little more uh, methodical, a little more technically savvy. Um, his his lines his line choice was really unique. He would you know kind of go towards these outside burns, but cut it in just maybe uh, maybe like a foot off that that high outside to kind of stay out of the fluffy stuff and just really use momentum to his advantage. And 
uh, and kind of tiptoe around the track. Um, and that was just, it was just super cool to see that, you know, while keeping it wide open, which we all know was super hard to turn your bike when you're on power. Um, but yeah, he, he looked very comfortable in the lead. Uh, didn't make many mistakes and, and, and rode away with this thing. And, and I think he just like, uh, you know, a Lupino or, um, or, or like a Hunter Lawrence, he, he opened some eyes this weekend. I, I like you said, he's definitely, uh, secured himself a, a spot under the, uh, the KCM tent. But, um, yeah, I think he's, he's, a, he's put a lot of people on notice that, uh, you know, he's not, he's not just that top three guy, top four guy. A guy can actually challenge maybe for some wins next year and maybe try to deep on his teammate. <laughs> might be, might be a tall order, but Hey, seems like he's got uh he's got it within him. No doubt. Well, he's, he's, he's got that opportunity, but, uh, <clears throat> it's going to be take, to have a, it's going to take a lot to beat the bullet, but, um, fourth place, Tied with fifth on points, but uh, the edge to the the best uh, over or the the best moto score. Hunter Lawrence uh, gives that to Australia, um, and honestly, like we we completely kind of like uh, glossed over uh, Mitchell Evans and Kirk Gibbs. Um, and actually, uh, if Gibbs hadn't gone down the first moto, they might have even gotten better for them. But uh, a pretty solid day, and then honestly, like uh, uh, Michael Byrne probably breathing a sigh of relief that the guys pulled it out and then put together a pretty solid performance given the fact that uh, um, there's a few people kind of scratching their heads at the A as Australia's um, Supercross schedule not allowing for uh, some of their top guys to attend this race. I feel like uh, with a uh, um, uh, Dean Ferris or uh, even I think uh, is Hayden Melross not Australian? I think like those, those two guys are pretty legit. I think they would have uh, like I, I still think they would have been better um, choices over Kirk Gibbs and, and Mitchell Evans, but uh, those guys still put in some really solid rides when other teams were having like absolutely dreadful days. Um, I think if you uh, if you had to to to, uh, to guess who is going to have a better overall moto scores, Mitchell Evans or uh, Aaron Plessinger, I don't think you would uh, most people would have given you uh, the correct answer. Um, they'd, they'd give you what they would think, and then uh, that wouldn't end up being true by the end of the weekend. But um, both Australia and uh, and the the UK had uh, very strong days, despite uh, their own adversity with two two motos uh, deep into the thirties. Uh, with of course, and like keeping in this mind, if Tommy Searle, who was in fourth when his bike quit, gets that fourth, that's a difference of eleven points off of Ben uh, Ben Watson's worst moto, which is the 15th, that's a difference of 11 points. That puts them into third place. Yeah, it puts them in third for the weekend. So they go from fifth to third on that one bike breaking, absolutely devastating for the UK. Yeah, it, it's, uh, and it, it really doesn't show the effort that these guys put in, you know. Um, Anthony rode pre- were pretty decent. Um, it's, if there's one thing I would say, it's probably that, you know, a lot of people expected Anthony to have a, a much better showing, especially after going one, one last year. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Cyril, I mean, that was, that was definitely, that was definitely tough to watch, man. He was, he was having such a good moto and, you know, on a, on a bike that I hear was borrowed uh, for the most part, pretty much like a stalker. Um, and, and, uh, when we talked about this on Monday, uh, we were kind of going over, you know, what's Cyril going to do? Which, which Tommy Cyril's going to show up? Is it going to be the Tommy Cyril we've seen the last couple of seasons? Is it going to be Tommy Cyril from the States from, you know, about eight, six, seven, eight years back? Um, and, it, and it looked like a, an all-new Tommy Cyril. I mean, he was he was riding very, very confidently, very, very strong. 
And, you know, even with pressure from Tomac, he was matching Tomac pace for pace, move for move, and was starting to pull away a little bit too. And, and they were you know, kind of doing that cat and mouse thing. And then, you know, his motor expired right, right before LaRocco's leap, uh, which, you know, I was standing right there and it kind of, kind of, you know, you, you really felt for the guy and you wanted to see some more good racing go on. But, um, yeah, it, it's, you really, you really feel for that team. They, they definitely put a, a great effort in and, you know, somebody that, you know, we and I didn't, didn't care to mention was, uh, Ben Watson, man. You know, I, I don't really know much about this guy, but holy crap, was he on fire. That guy was riding amazingly. And uh, yeah, he, he put, he put a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in shock, man. We, we had no idea who this Yamaha 250 was just screaming around the track and, uh, and dicing up and, and, you know, with the open guys. So, um, I think he's another guy that a lot of people are going to be aware of. And, um, you know, it, and it, and it brings me to a point where, you know, it, since the, these, these different foreign countries are starting to come over here and, and really do good and, and open up a lot of eyes. I wonder how the attention is going to shift over to the GPs now. Cause it, it looks like those guys are the ones that are really killing it, really doing a lot of cool stuff. And, um, like their riding style is a little bit more aggressive than ours even. So it makes me wonder, you know, what's, What's the uh, what's the future of the GPs look like? Is the you know do you see attention focusing over there? How you know are we going to start seeing more guys stay in Europe because those are the faster guys are teams or you know it's 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 definitely definitely weird to see all of these uh, these fast unknown two fifty and four fifty guys just absolutely crushing it like this. For sure, and I, I think that you'll still have top end talent that want to and can make a living racing Supercross like Marvin Moose can come over here, like Ken Roxon, come over here and, and make a living race United States Series. Uh, I also, uh, with the new branding of uh, Supercross being a, a more worldwide mindful um, uh, branding, I, I feel like uh, we may find ourselves in a international Supercross series more than a just a, uh, and I don't mean going back to Toronto. I mean I mean going all over the place for Supercross starting soon, uh, which would be uh, pretty wild. Um, but yeah, like I th- this weekend was a huge eye-opening experience for not only myself but all motocross fans worldwide that. Um, for the last five years with the, the States, not really like that. Obviously we got our asses kicked at, at uh, Lomo. That was going to happen. We don't have sand tracks like that. And those guys live there literally. Um, but for all the other five years, like they kind of had the weirdo stuff happen. Um, bikes breaking injuries happening at weird times. It was all things you could kind of chalk up for not necessarily excuses, but like reasons not to win. But um, this year, like guys that like obviously the the Coldenhoffs and the Lupinos of the world are are one thing, but when Ben Watson is racing away from Eli Tomac and Justin Barsha and uh, Aaron Plessinger, and and when like Jeremy Van Horbeek, who's for all intents and purposes kind of like moving on with his career a little bit, and the guy's a little bit long in the tooth, and uh, Jorge Prado, who is a a, a young super fast young rider on a 250F that goes 3-3. His one performance on a 250F, this kid's super young. He just won his first championship on a uh, a full-size bike. Um, Like, they absolutely put the boots to the the States. And, like, I I don't know what makes it change. I I don't know. Because of the, the amount of money that is dedicated towards Supercross, like, that's where the focus has to be. 
so for that reason, I don't I don't see the 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 American riders ever catching up at this point. Like they'd have to do something drastic. Yeah, it, it pains me to agree, but you know, I think we all came to the realization on Sunday that you know the the days of the U.S. dominating and being the fastest guys out there by a huge margin are gone. You know, we're we're no longer the fastest outdoor riders, um, you know, in, in the world anymore. That that title goes to you know <laughs> Jeffrey Hurlings, in my opinion. I was going to say it well basically goes few- to the Netherlands because if they would have had a guy yeah. with a pulse, they would have won by a long shot. It, yeah, I mean they got third with. Pretty much two guys, you know. Thirty-six of their forty-one points was on one guy. Yeah, and that's because he didn't because exactly. he didn't finish. Yep. I mean, if if uh, if a Landron could have could have held on for a moto or something, man, that that would have made for the all one the moto he's in. I, I should try and look. Yeah. And see, actually, that website kicked me out. I don't know what position he was in when he hurt his eye or when his bike broke. Either way, I think he was in about twelfth. You take that 36th and take 24 spots off of it, like, they're not even, it's like, this isn't even close. Like, they, they, they would have yeah. ended up with uh, 12 plus 2 and 3. They would, like, what, 16? No. Fif, fif, 17 points. Man. They were in 17 points. Different from yeah. the, from France, it was thirty five. Like that, that's not even that's a that's a beatdown. Yeah, it it the results really they're not uh, they don't show how well the the Netherlands rode. This is no. you know no, the, Italy won on consistency, but the Netherlands won on just pure raw speed and just just stubbornness to lose. Those, yeah, what, what was that? You you said Italy won on consistency. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, France France won. Yeah, sorry. But uh, yeah, yeah, the Netherlands were were that were the you know quote unquote just winners all out in speed and um, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's just a shame, man. If if the Landering really held on for one more minute, it it would have would have been a whole different story. Yeah. But you know, going back going back going back to my point, um, yeah, I, I don't I I kind of agree with you where so much of our focus, you know, um, not only in the states but worldwide, so much of the focus and the attention and the dollars are, are in Supercross. That that becomes almost you know a, a main focus for a long for a long part of the season, training from November and doing Supercross all the way through May. You know, it's that's that's a good portion of your year dedicated to one type of riding. Yeah. Um, and you know, and on the flip side of that, the GP guys they only focus on outdoors. So, um, you know, if if, if we want to uh, want to be in contention and try to win this thing again, um, I think we're, it's going to have to take you know take a, a a big a big change in the sport from the U.S. side uh, to put more emphasis in outdoor riding, get some more attention on there, because um, this this is a, this is a big race. It's one of the biggest races of the of the season for the U.S. guys, and probably the biggest race of the year for for the rest of the world. So um, it, it means a lot to win this, and I think we need to start putting some more effort into uh, training and um, and you know preparing for this the, the best way that the best way that we can. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough to even say. You know, it's tough to to muster the words up to 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 admit defeat like that. But I mean, you got to give it to the guys who were who were out there winning, and that's the Euro guys for sure. I still think that on depth, like just depth of talent, the Americans still have more talented riders. You're still going to have 
like more there's there's more guys at a certain level than there are like we're, we're talking like a bunch of different nations getting together to beat up on the states whereas the states probably could send a B team and they literally did uh, and we'll get into them in a second here um, and and still do quite well um, and I, I I honestly feel like you could uh, perennially you could line up uh, like your one A two A or or 1B, 2B, and 3B uh, from the United States, and, and they wouldn't be too far off uh, the, the top team, or the team that America sends. Like you literally just send Puerto Rico as like a B team from, from the United States, and they'd be, they'd be contenders. But, um, and maybe you couldn't say that about other nations, but I think that's what one thing that you, the States has on pretty much every other nation is just on sheer numbers and uh, the affluence of those numbers. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's getting to the point where wow, like uh, especially outdoors, um, it's it's like the best guys in the world are uh, Netherlands and France, <laughs> as far as straight up <laughs> speed goes. Like the guys are they're, they're changing the game. So uh, and I and like you said, they're riding differently. It's almost like. Um, the American or the uh, the Europeans saw like the scrubbing and the this and the that that Americans were doing in the mid mid two thousands, and then they just put that on on like absolute steroids, and they like they got more aggressive and they scrubbed harder and like they they cornering like they they'd see how fast uh, guys like Ricky Carmichael, James Stewart, and uh, Ryan Villapoto would charge into corners, and they just they like, took that recipe and they just like just turned it right the hell up. So, uh, and it, it's, it's really, it's turned itself into a really, really cool way to ride a motorcycle. It's fun to watch. Definitely. I mean, it just, just, just the scrubbing alone. Um, I think, you know, this is, this is going to sound blasphemous, especially me being a huge James Stewart fan, but they're almost doing it better than James Stewart himself. You know, I mean, the, not only, uh, Hurlings, who was, you know, an amazing, amazing rider, but, uh, you know, who was it? Paul N was, was doing it amazingly. And Colvin Hoff was scrubbing super low, but not just scrubbing, but actually it was, it was so effective, his, his scrubbing technique where, you know, it, he was, he was doing it at the, the right moment on the gas and would almost glide over every obstacle. It was, it was really, really cool. And again, the way that they're flicking it in their corners while still keeping the gas on and just using their body in different ways. It was just, it's super, super cool to see that kind of riding style and, and, and to watch how effective it is, you know, on the bike where they're still able to dig in, get that traction, but most importantly, keep the momentum going forward, uh, where I think we struggle a lot, a lot with that, with the, you know, the quote unquote U.S. riding style where it's, you know, kind of, kind of point and shoot. And, you know, it's all about, you know, coming in hot to, to certain sections and corners and just gassing out where, you know, that, that added finesse and, and, you know, match with some of the aggression that we saw from the old guys that, that makes a huge difference in, you know the results the results say it man it, it works yes it does now we've talked about the top five and unfortunately i haven't gotten to a north american team we're not too far away from my favorite north american team but now let's talk about yours united states of america hosted this race odds on favorite and up until uh, saturday i thought that united states of america produced the fastest race of the world bar none and uh, and Eli Tomac should have no problem leading Team USA to victory. That didn't happen. Why? Oh, the, the the list is is uh, is long. You know, um, 
I think I think it was uh, for a lot of them. I think they underestimated who they were riding against. You know, I, I, they uh, especially you know myself included. A lot of people kind of thought this is this is our home race. These are guys that have won this race before. Eli won the championship. Um, Aaron won the championship. Barca Barca's having one of the best years he's had. Um, these guys are going to crush it. This is you know the most American race at the most American track we have, and we've had this track on the series for years and years and all of these guys have read it multiple times um but i think it was this matter of underestimating these guys um i think it was lack of prep um i think it was uh just uh probably bad communication like we talked about earlier just which just with that that lack of cohesion with their with the rest of the team um you know i i, I heard a few guys you know they they weren't uh they weren't a hundred percent, you know, thinking about this race ahead of time. They were, you know, kind of focused on, uh, you know, monster cup, which is a big paying race, uh, or, you know, prep for supercross stuff like that. So it, it could, it could be a lot, but, you know, in, in my opinion, it was, it just, it just came, came down to, to, you know, lack of focus and prep and just underestimating who they're riding against. I think, um, they should have put a much bigger emphasis in qualifying on Saturday uh, and try to minimize some of those mistakes and, and maybe review it a little bit more what, what the Euro guys are doing. You know, once they saw that they got, those guys were kind of, you know, pulling away and, and, um, and, and leading the boards, you know, I think they should have went back and, and kind of did their homework in terms of, you know, uh, watching their lines a bit, maybe going back to bike setup, um, you know, and, and just, and just trying to attack it from a, from a different, from a different way. But, um, you know, it, like I said, it's it's a number of things, and I, I just I, part of me is is uh, is hopeful that we can kind of get it together, and I'm really hoping that this you know kind of kicks these guys in the ass and really shows hey we got to step our game up and and bring it for uh, for next year because you know these these guys are eating our lunch they came to pretty much came came in our house opened up our fridge took our food and ate it right in front of us you know what I mean and um, I don't think anyone saw this coming it. it it's it's gonna it's probably one of gonna be one of the biggest uh one of the biggest talking points for uh for a number of years. Yeah, this is uh th- this is a big one. I, I I can't quite put my finger on it. I like I guess like bad starts on Tomac's part and has never like been a, a huge uh like asset for him, although he was back on the great, which he was so good on on Supercross. Uh but I think that they gave um him the the lesser of the two uh like the the gate pick in both races if not at least one um so that hampered him um so that and just like obviously he was he still was the best guy from the states and two bad starts didn't help i think he was coming from the back both motos uh and uh when you're competing against the world's best from every nation uh that's not easy um it's not like uh he's like the the guys in like th- this last year in the motocross or the the mx uh or the 450 class uh 10th through 15th i'm sorry to say for those guys they were not as strong as 10th to the 15th in this last weekend's races and certainly you could argue the same thing for us uh, like as you get closer to the top of the leaderboard uh the, the depth of talent is definitely a little stronger than it was during the uh the, the national series this year i think it was harder for him to move forward um blake bat or not blake bag like it wasn't it wasn't even there uh justin barsha also two horrid starts i think his best moto was actually in the second moto when uh he actually started out 
33rd and came back to a ninth. That was his best moto. Um, so like just you give you give Justin Barsha a couple of better starts and maybe things go differently for these guys. And then when it comes to Aaron Plessinger, I feel like uh, maybe a little bit underperforming, but also more more likely feeling the bumps and bruises from a pretty gnarly getup on Saturday. Um, like that's probably one of the harder crashes we've seen from all year, and he had to be at his best twelve hour, twenty four hours later. That's no small task, and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he was dealing with a, a significant ailment uh, throughout Sunday, and uh, that's a bummer for the way that turned out. But um, yeah, sixth best nation, uh, I guess better than last year, boys, but uh, uh, still a, a tough pill to swallow, uh, especially on home soil, and uh, not looking any better going to uh, one of the gnarliest sand tracks um, that's ever been built by man himself, uh, next year in Aston, Switzerland. So, uh, I think it's, uh, it'll be, an, it'll be another couple of years before, uh, the U S are even favored in this race, uh, based solely on the fact that, uh, like Arne France isn't somewhere that we did particularly well. And that, uh, that sand track in Switzerland is no, uh, is, is not uh, that easy either. So I, U S are in tough for the next couple of years coming up and certainly didn't perform to their best this last weekend. I'm not sure if they were given the opportunity to be their absolute best uh, based on the conditions and just some of the starts that they had. I agree with everything you said. Um, you know, I'm, uh, in my opinion, I think Plessinger was definitely the one that underperformed the most on, on that team. There were, there were 250 guys that were, were leading this event, and Plessinger is is an amazing rider. We've seen what he can do throughout the season. Uh, we've seen what he can do in Supercross. We've seen what he can do in outdoors. He had, he had, he's had amazing rides pretty much everywhere. And, and he, he, he just, he dropped the ball. I mean, there were guys beating this, beating him that we had no idea what their, what their name was, let alone what country they were from. So, um, I think this, this definitely was a, was a big, was a big miss on Plessinger's part. Um, you know, it, and you hate to compare people, but when you see someone who's on a bike for like a second or third time, like a Hunter Lawrence, and you see a, a seasoned, you know, vet like Plessinger, you know, riding around in, what was it, like, you know, 19th for a while, and then 18th, and finally what's the way to 16th, um, you know, it's just, man, you're, you're wondering what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think he, I think he was kind of feeling a little bit of that crash, whether he wanted to admit it or not, but, um, Still, you know, you, you think from a champ, you know, he, he was able to pull through and muster up enough strength to get better than a 16th, especially at a race with this much importance. Um, but yeah, it's just a, just a miss on his part. And, you know, I, 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 I would say one of the best racers, maybe not result, result wise, uh, but um, just in terms of uh, effort and the way they were riding with Barsha and with a few of his come from behind rides, I mean, he was riding very, very aggressively, he was on the gas. And I think he just, uh, you know, getting hung up in the first turn and uh, making those little bobbles, I think, really, um, really, really, really hampered his day. And I'm very curious what he could have done with a better start. You know, Barsha is super stubborn, and that guy can ride, and he is not afraid of anybody. So, I mean, maybe with a second or third place start, maybe he could have held up these guys and, and roughed them up a little bit or something. But, um, you know, that, you know, that, that's all speculation at this point. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really, I'm really floored about the the lack of performance from the U.S. I mean, even though the check was a little bit different than than what they encountered on race day, um, you know, a couple months ago, I think it was uh, 
still, I mean, it's still no excuse for, for a lot of these drill guys to come and kick their butts in our own track. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think that uh, they just got play, straight out outraced. Out like, uh, they, it wasn't about uh, as much their performances. I think, honestly, even if uh, all three guys have um, typical days for them, I, I, I still don't think that they win this race. Uh, based on speed, and I'll go like quote uh, Roger DeCoster is that we're not good enough outdoors. That's 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 a uh, that's just it is exactly what his uh, his words were. And, and to that, I, I turn the attention to some people who blame Roger DeCoster for this, and I I can't figure out why. I I, I just, like management has nothing to do with race results, um, like. You could go back to a, a perfect season where James Stewart uh, would, would probably, uh, I don't think he exchanged two words with Jeff Fisher all year uh, and, and goes 24-0. and 0. So I don't think that has to do with anything. And the fact that the uh, um, United States has 22 championships, all of which under the tutelage of uh, Roger DeCoster. I don't think it has anything to do with anything. If anyone, he's probably the most honest about how this whole situation is. Most definitely, most definitely. I mean, if 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 anything, he's probably a huge advantage to what we have going on here. You know, with all of his years of experience, and he's been through this race more times than than I think I can count. And he, he's got he he knows that scene. He knows those European guys. He knows what it takes to win. So I I doubt that he came off as you know a a, a hindrance, I guess, to the team or or something that held them back. I think he was, he's a huge asset. And, um, yeah, those guys are, those guys are crazy, man. The cops is the man. Yeah. He's literally the man and, uh, should, should be, uh, treated as such. Uh, before we get to, to the ending of this one and before we get to my favorite North American team, um, team Puerto Rico. The obviously the motos didn't were were nothing to be really to, to, to shout about, but I want to know what it was like to watch Kevin Windham sitting in second place, beer belly, long hair, beard and all, in the 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 B main, B final, and 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 knowing that uh, Ryan Sipes is behind them, they're counting five on the day. And uh, and they went ahead and just absolutely crushed it. Uh, unfortunately, Travis uh, not having the best photos in that one. His score ha- ends up getting dropped. But just to see Travis Pastrana on a 252 stroke with his knees like rubber. You see, you've got uh, Kevin Windham, who's clearly like he's he's not met a T-bone steak uh, and a and a craft beer that he hasn't liked. In the last five years, it's uh, is, uh, that is abundantly clear, and um, and Orion Sipes, who's just like you'll ride anything if you if you put that guy in a tricycle race, he's gonna do well. Like, what was it like watching those guys do their thing? It was absolutely incredible. I mean, you would have thought there were two U.S. teams at this event. I mean, the number of American flags and air horns, in you know. Chainsaws being blasted whenever whenever those guys went by, it was it was absolutely incredible, and it wasn't just the the U.S. guys. I mean, these guys are famous all over the world. So you had 
I mean, just every country, Sweden and, you know, the Netherlands, those, were, those guys were all waving their, waving their flags for these guys and cheering, um, you know, even when they were in the back of the pack for, um, you know, the first, the, the three races on, on Sunday, people were just absolutely screaming for them. And um, it, it really shows just how damn talented they are. I say for Ryan Sipes, you know, these guys came off the, came off the couch pretty much. And, you know, Sipes is a, is a, amazing talented rider that guy was doing a lot of cool stuff on this bike and you know even though he was underpowered he was still was still hanging with a bunch of 450 riders and um you know you, you definitely definitely couldn't tell that he he hasn't raced uh outdoor in a little bit but um you know it's absolutely cool i mean watching kevin windham you know ride the honda around and it looked it, you could see the little flashes of kevin windham from like you know 10 15 years ago uh you know just throwing it over and you know it's his this effortless, this smooth style through corners and um and up some of the tabletops and stuff. I mean, it was super cool. It's it was a little weird to see him, yeah, like you said, the beer belly and seeing him so husky and stuff like that. But husky, um, you were so, so nice to people. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> <You know>? man. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want. Yeah, it was okay. You know, it it looked a little bit like Santa Claus on a dirt bike with yeah. the, the huge beard and the belly. But uh, I mean, the guy still throws down, man. He still he still has it, you know. Um, I, I, I can guarantee you, if you gave the guy, which I'm sure he would never be up for, if you gave the guy maybe six months of training, put him on a diet, he could still probably do pretty good in an in a, in a AMA race. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just, it was just super great to see that. And those guys were just were, were very grateful of all the fans showing up and um, really excited to see everybody and just, just taking it all in, very happy and, uh, and enjoying every second of it. So I think they, they, they set up what they probably should do. They made it in. Um, they raised um, a lot of money, a lot of awareness for their cause for Puerto Rico and doing a lot of good down there. So, um, yeah, they were, they were, they were packed the whole weekend at their rig. They fans were lined up for, for a while. Um, this, you know, every time Travis would come out, people were, you know, screaming his name, taking pictures, wanted to talk to him. It was just a really, really cool, uh, cool experience to, to see the, the amount of support, not just from America, or Puerto Rico, but from the entire motocross community in attendance. Uh, I think those guys are uh, those guys made a name for themselves. They were the only other thing besides hurlings that kind of, you know, made people's jaw drop. I think. Yes, sir. Uh, I was uh, I was impressed. I, I I just just the whole theatrics of it and the way it was all pulled off. I I loved it. it and it, honestly, from the the um, the MXDN broadcast, it was not a sideshow whatsoever. They looked like they were there to race. They were, uh, it didn't take too much away from the broadcast whatsoever. They were sort of mentioned and it was kind of a cool story and that's that. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was pumped to see it and good for them. Um, and now for the best part of the show, for those who don't watch, uh, like Canadian races, uh, on and on and on. You can turn your, you can turn your your uh, radios off. Uh, I'm not even really going to mention Team Germany getting tenth overall. Uh, Ken Roxon not his best day. He goes nine twenty five for some motos that are forgettable. Max Nagel was actually one of their best guys, and he had a shitty day. But Team Canada, if not for a blown up Kawasaki. Tyler Medaglia would have led Team Canada to a top eight finish. And if not for a couple of bad uh, starts from Jess Pettis, this team would have been deep inside the top ten, possibly one of their best uh, motocross nations ever. 
and uh, doing so on a track that I don't think any of those guys are all that familiar with. And uh, I, I think they, they performed admirably. Um, you, you changed, uh, you give Tyler his eighth that he was solidly in, uh, in that first moto before his bike started to smoke, uh, more than, uh, uh, than a high school kegger. Like this, this was a a phenomenal race for these guys. I think they, they put their best foot forward. Uh, I'm not too sure how, uh, Colton ended up with a 26th in the third moto. I have to go back and check. But uh, a good day for these guys, and, and great on uh, Pillars Kawasaki for, in the last three weeks, putting together a program just so they could send Tyler. Um, and this, this, is, this might be maybe your cherry on top for this weekend, is that I, Brad Gebhardt, would purchase at full market value that FXR gear that Pe- Jess Pettis was wearing. Uh during this event because that stuff should be available in Canada for all to purchase. That was good looking stuff. It's the best FXR gear that they've probably ever made period. And that stuff was good. Music, so just Pettis. Thumbs music up. to my ears, man. <laughs> FXR, that particular set of gear, thumbs up. Um, maybe a thumbs down to how ridiculously green, uh, uh, Tyler Medaglia's bike was. It kind of stuck out. It's kind of be looking a little, a little bit funny that way. It didn't look very Canadian. You know what I mean? It was very monster cow-ish, but I, I, yeah. maybe that's uh, it's tough to make graphics up in, in a short order or whatever. But uh, that's one thing that kind of stuck out to me. But otherwise, absolutely crushed it. Everything was cool, and they came away with an 11th. Pretty damn good for guys who... Uh, uh, battled through the the adver- like the adversity and the fact that both I think uh, Tyler, Tyler Medaglia and uh, Colton Fasciati both turned pro in like 2002. So yeah, good, it's a good bit ago. But yeah, it, most definitely. You know, I I think I cheered for Team Canada as loud as I cheered for the U.S. You know, well, um, I had a lot of faith in well. those guys. Yeah, pretty much at times a little better. Um, but you know, I. Uh, um, I, I, I did have, I did have a lot of faith in these guys coming, um, coming into the race and stuff. And I knew, you know, Pettis is extremely talented. I know, um, Fasciati and Medaglia are, uh, very, very strong riders, very competent riders, very skilled riders. Um, so yeah, I, I, I expect them to do honestly a little bit better than they did do. Um, you know, Jeff Pettis had a tough go at it with a few mishaps here and there. Um, and I don't think we got to see full, fully what he's capable of. You know, I think he was held back a lot by those mistakes that he made. And um, if he would have got up to some better starts and held his position, we could have seen another 250 up there battling with those 450s and, and shocking a lot of people. And um, it, just, it was definitely a bummer to, to not see him be able to be able to display what he's really, really capable of on that bike. Um, and a big shout out to Medaglia. The guy was running in a top eight position, I believe, for a good portion of the race. Um, and then, you know, got struck by some bad luck, but I was very, very shocked. You know, we don't really hear much about Medaglia or see him, you know, ride as, you know, as consistent or strong or as confident as he rode on Sunday. That guy was really, really looking good. Um, really, really relaxed for such a high stress and, and uh, high pressure event. He, for, for most of it, you know, I, a lot of people thought he was, you know, going to stay in that top, that top 10 position. I'm going to, going to move Canada up the spot for a little bit, but you know, I guess they had other plans, but um, yeah, hats off to those guys. They should, they should all be pretty proud of what they've, uh, 
what they've accomplished. And I hope that they, they can use this and move forward to next year and uh, be able to really, really show something, bring out the heavy guns and, uh, and put it to these guys. You know, none of those guys, their sponsors in the stands, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, you know, Jeffrey Hurley's by any means, but they're, they're all very, very capable. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting good things out of Canada. I, I don't, I don't think we'll see Canada back in that, you know, top 15 or, or back spot anymore. I think they're a, they're a top, top 10 team for sure. They have the support and they have the talent up there. So uh, I want to see it, you know, and definitely going to make sure that I, I see you wear a just Titus FXR jersey eventually. It's, it's got to happen. <laughs> hey, you have a better connection with Andy White than I do. Anyone can, uh, can make that happen. You can, my friend, maybe make a phone call this week. Uh, but uh, I, I will mention that uh, my preconceived notion and my, uh, my expectation of this team was 11th or worse, and your expectation for this team was 10th or better. Um, honestly, if they had uh, uh, performed to their absolute best, I think they would have gotten to where you were. But uh, we had a friendly wager that didn't end up getting placed on this particular race, uh, and it's a damn good thing you didn't uh, you didn't take that bet because uh, you would owe me fifty bucks. Yeah, I'm very glad I did. I didn't do that because I spent a little bit too much on food, so I'm trying to recoup on that one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, fifty bucks U.S. That's like two hundred dollars Canadian. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, yeah, I was I like I said, I had I had high hope for these guys, and honestly, they're uh, I I think they're 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 confident. They're they're going to uh, they're going to they're going to start putting in some good spots and good finishing and stuff. And um, yeah, good thing we weren't too far off with with Canada at least, because the Lord knows I was I was pretty far off with it with Italy. So <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yeah, you uh, we both were holy good good God. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, honor mention to Ireland for uh, not even having to go to the B-Main. Uh, I'm going to call up Lorenzo Lucurcio, who uh, was basically the absolute best uh, Venezuelan rider. That's for damn sure. Uh, no one said a damn thing about Team Czech the entire the whole weekend. Those guys were, qu- like, just quietly 20th through 29th, just sort of there. That was kind of funny. Uh, Enzo Lopes, of course, we've heard of him. Uh, he he puts some puts in a couple of decent motos for Brazil. They end up seventeenth overall. Um, yeah, and on a, and uh, the states, not even uh, they didn't even end up last. Uh, or no, or were they? Yes, they were. Nineteen nations, right? Yes, 19. they were. They were nineteenth. But no, no, twentieth, twenty. Sorry, oh, Switzerland. Yeah, twenty. So they were yeah. Switzerland with Jeremy Sewer. How the hell? Jeremy Stewart got a fifth. Yep. And oh, they only had two guys. Yeah. Yeah, that'll that that hurts. Yeah. That literally, <laughs> uh, their fifth one would have been like a max points, and uh, yep. yeah, that doesn't help anyone. Huh? Did that just make them like non eligible? Yeah, I'm not sure how that works for them. Because, like, technically they got the, 95 points, which riders. is less than Canada, but that doesn't count because they only got two guys. Yeah. But between Valentin Guillaud and uh, Jeremy Sewer, which, of course, Sewer ended up having a shitty second moto, that is what it is. But, uh, yeah, Puerto Rico, 19th. They got to be pumped on that. Add another nine on there. That's 199. That's Travis Pastrana. I like that. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Yes, sir. 
But uh, looking forward to the uh, um, Monster Cup this weekend. You will be in attendance. I will not. I will again be working up in uh, the up in the frozen tundra of Canada, which I'm bummed about. But uh, I'm gonna have to get out to one of these races uh, one of these times. You've been you've been attending way too many races in comparison to me lately. That's a problem. But uh, yeah. and I'm sure we're gonna do a quick like kind of like pre uh monster cup kind of podcast maybe do it like maybe you my myself you and maybe uh troy benjamin get on the phone do a three-way call um things are better in a three-way i don't know if you know that but uh but yeah let's uh we'll talk a little bit about that but i understand that uh the um the collective experiences are sold out for this particular race yeah, definitely. Uh, they went really, really fast. We only had a couple spots open with uh, uh, Tyler Entignap, and man, they they blew by. Man, they uh, the minute I opened it up, I had a few uh, few text messages, and they were sold. So there you um, go. it's definitely def- definitely great to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the fact that you know more people are starting to uh, look forward to our experiences and and hanging out with our riders and the the riders. Like I always say, they enjoy it just as much as the fans do, and. Uh, it, every little bit really helps these guys out. You know, uh, the cash that we're helping them out with goes towards, you know, gas and entry and just lightens the burden. And, you know, the fact that we're giving them fan exposure and uh, another another outlet for fans to interact with them, they really love that. It, it means a lot for people to, to go up to a privateer and say, hey, you know, I really want to hang out with you. I want to see what it's, what it's all about. And I want to, you know, kind of, uh, kind of learn from you a little bit. So really helps you guys out and you know Tyler's always a favorite same as his brother Adam and um, they do such an incredible job with the experience these guys are awesome awesome with fans and um, yeah love working with those guys and we love helping the fans out yes sir and uh, we'll talk a little bit more off air um, about that but uh, looking forward to that I appreciate the time Dave to uh, talk a little MXDN thank you for being our uh, not so VIP correspondent uh, down at uh, more across nations and uh looking forward to chat again soon my friend oh most definitely man you know i love being on here hell yeah i'll talk to you soon all right we'll talk to you